welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson, and this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. For episode number 22, I have Nikki Callison of Callison Ranch Beef joining us today. Nikki comes onto the show to share her and her husband Roger's incredible and inspiring story, as well as how they grew their small herd of just 20 head of cattle to now over 350 head of cattle. This is a story you don't want to miss, and Nikki brings so much incredible energy, information, insight, as well as encouragement to this episode and I think it's going to really help you on your journey whether you're a first generation rancher or third generation rancher or even a fifth generation rancher. This is an excellent story you don't want to miss out on and I'm really grateful that Nikki agreed to come onto the show and share this with us today. Nikki I want to thank you so much for joining me today for episode number 22. I'm so excited to hear more about your journey and ranching. I know you and your husband are third generation ranchers, and I just thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you, Logan. It's so great to be here. I appreciate you asking me. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm so thankful (laughs) you agreed to join me. And I'm just really excited for everybody to hear all about your guys' operation and how you guys do things in Oklahoma. And you and your husband have the most incredible story I think I've ever heard. You had shared this on your Instagram when I first discovered your account, and I'll never forget the way your story touched me with all that you have both supported and encouraged each other through. Will you share with us your story and how Callison Ranch Beef came about on you and your husband's journey? Yes, I'll try to give you somewhat of the shorter version. On my Instagram account, Callison Ranch Beef, I did a hashtag Callison Ranch Love Story We are celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary this year, and I think I just had finally come to a point where I really felt comfortable in sharing the genesis of Roger and I's story together and our ranch, and so I enjoyed being able to write about that. Both of our families, as you said, have ranched for generations, his for three and actually mine for for four or five, as long as my family can remember, and I grew up on a on a 2,000-acre cattle ranch in southern Oklahoma, right along the Red River, with my parents and my four brothers. I have four brothers, Justin, Joe Ray, Jet, and Cord McCoy. So we had McCoy Ranch, and we ran cattle. We raised horses. My parents' uh, motto for the ranch was actually raising kids, cattle, and quality horses. And so I love it. So we did a lot of ranching, a lot of raising great uh, horses and also uh, rodeoing. My family is a big rodeo family. In fact, my dad met my mom when he came down to to Oklahoma from Iowa on a rodeo scholarship to Oklahoma State University, and he stayed. So I grew up there and loved it, loved my childhood and growing up with my brothers. Everybody always asks if I'm a tomboy, and I would say, no, I'm not a tomboy, but I love doing things outside that I also um, have many other interests. So... (laughs) But I always get that question. I guess people assume if you grow up with four brothers that that you might be a tomboy. Right. (laughs) So when I graduated from high school, you know, I've always loved to travel. And I felt like, you know, there's a big world out there and I want to see some of it. And I actually went to college at the University of Texas at Arlington. That's in the Dallas area. And I got a degree in history. I love history. I still like to 
to read and study history. I got a job teaching school and I taught fourth and fifth grade in Plano, Texas, which is kind of a suburb of the Dallas area for about 10 years and loved it, loved the people that I taught with and my kids. But I can tell you the exact moment that I was sitting, it was actually an afternoon um, after school. I'd went with some friends to eat Mexican food and we were sitting like on an outdoor patio and it was a beautiful day. And I, at that moment, I sat there and I thought, you know what I'm missing? My life is missing that there is nowhere that I can go here that I don't hear a car and that there's always the noise of the city and I want to get back to the country. And it was at that moment that I thought, I, I just, I'm ready to go back. But I wasn't sure how I was going to make that happen. And when school let out in May, I had the summer as a school teacher And I went with my family to the National High School Rodeo Finals. My youngest brothers, Jet and Cord McCoy, are nine and 10 years younger than I am. They were still high school rodeoing at the time. So I went with them and and I was talking to Cord and I said, I just, I I don't think I want to go back. I love my job. I I love everything, but but I got to do something different. And my family is strong believers in prayer. And Cord prayed with me that day. And I just made the decision, I'm not going back. I went to a pay phone (laughs) near the concession stand at the National Finals, High School Finals Rodeo. And I called and gave him my notice. And then I called some school districts in the area where my family lives. And I actually have quite a bit of experience working with emotionally disturbed kids. And I got a job. I can't believe this, but I got a job over the phone teaching teenagers at a psychiatric hospital near where my family lives. So I moved back to Oklahoma and two weeks later, I met Roger. So isn't that amazing how God works? That's just so incredible. Yes. So that's what I was doing when I moved back, went for there, but I'll back up before I kind of tell how Roger and I met, but Roger grew up in northeastern Oklahoma, really close to the Oklahoma-Missouri line. And he has fond memories of helping his dad and his grandfather work cattle. And his grandmother always had a huge garden and they would get together and have big family meals after working cattle and that sort of thing. And so Roger really loved the ranching lifestyle also. But when he graduated from high school, he went to Oklahoma State University where he got a degree in ag economics. And he wasn't really sure what he was going to do with that, but he went to a job fair. And I think, Logan, you'd even mentioned that you had family in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yes. And he got a job in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and he was a a commodities trader. And so trading grain and feed ingredients as far as commodities. And he actually married and had two children, a daughter and a son. And Roger is quite the entrepreneur, and he decided that he wanted to open his own commodity trading business, and he moved to the southern Oklahoma area where my family lives and started doing his commodity trader actually out of a back bedroom, <laughs> and it built into an office and, and you know built it into a business. But he was gone in 1998. It was April, a lot of rain that time of year in Oklahoma. And he had actually gone to Kansas City on a business trip for the weekend. And his wife and his two children went to his in-laws for the weekend to to visit. So on Sunday evening, it was late Sunday evening after dark, his wife and children were driving back. It's probably about an hour and a half driving south back toward home so that um, she could have the kids there for school on Monday morning. And 
just a really freak accident. Her car hydroplaned right off the road into a, a rushing creek. And unfortunately, the, the car was taken under in the creek and he lost everything that meant everything to him at oh that gosh. point. So I couldn't even imagine. I, I can't imagine what he went through or, you know, that, that he still does because he, yeah. you know, losing, losing your family. And, um, oh. but I would I always say that Roger's the strongest man that I know. Absolutely. For, for many reasons, but that being one of them. I'd have to agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Really, really tough. And he says that, you know, he just prayed that, that God stay with him and help him through that really, really tough time. And, he went back to to his roots also and what he knows. And he said that, you know, during the day he would be at work and he could make it through the day that it was the nights that were the hardest to go home to an empty house and and still doesn't like to come home to an empty house. And anyway, he bought 20 heifers and so that he had something in the evenings to go take care of and check. And that was that summer. And like I said, Roger and I met, I guess, in that August. And I had been through a, a really, really bad relationship, and I was not interested in meeting anyone. And we actually had a mutual friend who kept telling him that he should meet me and telling me that I should meet him <laughs> and that we would be perfect for each other. That, that, was, that was what she kept saying. You would be perfect for each other. Well, she called me on the phone and said, he's here. I want you to come meeting. And I thought, I'm going to get her off my back. I'm going to get this <laughs> over with. I was actually at my dad's ranch and I was with my horse and I tied up my horse to the hitching post and I got in my vehicle and I drove to town and I'm, I still had on, you can imagine when you just came from the barn, my hair up, (laughs) sleeveless shirt, it was, you know, hot summer, my jeans and my boots. And I walked in and she said, Roger, this is Nikki. Nikki, this is Roger. So would y'all like to go out sometime? And it was it was so incredibly awkward. You can't imagine. Oh, <laughs> and, that's great. Uh, but I did, I mean, just meet him very, very briefly before I rushed back out. And I thought, yeah, I, I am interested in him. I, I like him. So she didn't give up. And shortly after that, she arranged for us to meet again. And that time we talked a little more. And I was actually doing some professional rodeoing that summer. As I said, I grew up rodeoing and, and barrel racing, and that's that's yeah. just part of my family. And he called, and this is kind of a funny story, but he called to ask me out. And I had been to a rodeo the night before and was not fully awake that morning. And he said uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to go out. And I said, yes. And then it occurred to me, I did not know his last name. <laughs> And I thought, I cannot go out with somebody that I don't even know their last name. And so I asked him his last name, praying that it was not, or asking how to spell his last name (laughs) and praying that it was not Smith or Jones or something. So I really looked like an idiot. And, uh, and he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, it's Callison, like Allison with a C. (laughs) And so when people see my name written out, it looks like Collison, but I always yeah. tell them, no, it's Callison, like Allison with a C, and I always think of, of Roger. But I love that. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I wasn't looking for a relationship. He was, he was just, he was lonely, and he wanted somebody to go to the movies with, go out to eat with, 
And that's the way we looked at it. But very, very quickly, we just absolutely clicked. And so we were great friends from the beginning, and we still are. He's my best friend. But every evening, we would go out together and check these 20 heifers (laughs) that he had and talk about them and dream about what we could do for ourselves as far as a herd and what we wanted for the rest of our lives. And that grew. And a little over a year after we started dating, um, he asked me to marry him. And we were looking for a place to call our own. You know, we, we wanted some land. He had been living in town. You know, I'd moved up from Dallas. So when we got married, we, we wanted a place. And, and he found a place that was actually really grown up. Um, the fences needed repair. The house had, you know, had good bones. It was built in like 67. But it, it was empty. They had rented it out some. The gates were locked. But he had heard through the grapevine that it was going to be coming up for sale. And um, the gates were locked. And he and I would climb the fence and walk <laughs> all the way up the long driveway and peek in the windows of the house and look around and talk about what we could do with this place. And I remember telling him at that time, well, I think really the house is too big for just two people. And he looked at me and he said, then we'll fill it up with little people. Aww. So we had a dream to to make it into our ranch. And actually that's where we still live today. So that's amazing. We got it bought and we closed on it, I guess, October 15th. And November 6th, we had a very small wedding ceremony in town and then had a big reception at our new place. And it was pretty much nothing had been done except we had mowed it, <laughs> but we were excited. So we were, we were really super excited at that point to, uh, to make a new life together and to build a ranch and to build a herd. So that's what we've tried to do. And, and backing up, you know, when he said, we'll fill it up with little people, yeah. I knew that, that I could not have children. I had known since I was about 18. I had been born unable to have children. And so that was an issue. And I remember all, all of the ranching people who listen to this will, will find this funny, but this is just how Roger looks at the world. You know, I, I might roll things over in my mind over and over again, and he just kind of cuts to the chase. But um, when I told him that I couldn't have children, I was really worried, you know, because he had been a dad and he loved being a dad and I knew he wanted to be a dad again. And he, he looked at me and he said, just like surprised. And he said, well, Nikki, I'm looking for a, a wife, not a mayor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of, I was like, oh, okay, well then I guess we're good to go. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. so we knew from, from the get go that we would be looking to adopt. So we immediately, when we got married, uh, did the paperwork and, had had the Department of Human Services do our home study because they could do our home study and then we could use it for for private adoption or whatever. And the caseworker kept calling me and saying, we've got a sibling group of three that are legally free and we want to keep them together, she said. And we think that the two of you can do that. And so they were ages four two and a half and one and a half. And we met our, we met our children and two weeks later they moved in. And I literally did not even have a plastic cup for a child to drink out of. We had friends bring over clothes and two high chairs 
And it was, it was pretty crazy because yeah. we'd only been married a year and a half. <laughs> and then to have three little people that knew really no structure whatsoever. But, but Roger was great and we made it work and the good Lord has, has followed us all along and, and blessed us. And so we've spent the last 20 years, you know, building our ranch and raising a family and it's a good life together. You and Roger are so inspiring. I mean, so many emotions throughout your guys' story. I'm just sitting here in awe listening to you tell your story and you're a fantastic storyteller because I can just, you paint this beautiful picture and I can just picture it all the way through. And Oh, well, thank you. Oh, thank you for sharing that. It's incredible what you guys have walked through together. And then I always get goosebumps like when I was reading about when you guys got your children uh-huh. in your, you know, your callison love story. And I was just crying when oh. I was reading through this. And then I was happy and laughing and then crying. And it's just amazing. I always get goosebumps, even just listening to you talk about it. I'm like, oh, what a neat moment for you guys and for these kiddos. And you guys became this beautiful family. And then over the course of 20 years and congratulations on your wedding anniversary too. That's oh well, thank you. Just amazing. I just adore your guys' story and just everything that you guys have been through and then keeping your faith at the center of that and just giving all the glory to God. And you guys are just such an inspiration. Yes. And and as I said before, you know, it's taken me 20 years to really kind of look back and see how God has woven this whole fabric of our lives together and where he put different people. I've, I've left out lots of details. Like sure. I said, anybody that wants to read, it's hashtag Cal's Ranch Love Story. But just just how God put together the different details, you know, it's neat for any of us. You know, this is our story, but everybody has a story or things that, that they've gone through and can see, you know, God's finger in it if they let him. Absolutely. It's just, it's amazing. And, you know, God definitely works in mysterious ways. And yes. sometimes we don't always see the reason or why or put anything together until years down the road. But, you know, you can look back. And I think, just like you said, anybody can look back and you can see that. You can see God's handiwork in there. And it's just amazing to me how everything seems to fall together. Yes. And and a lot of times you sure don't see it when you're in the muck and mire of the of the hard times, but but it does, it does eventually all fall together. I'm just in awe of your guys' story and just how you guys have just grown and developed together. And especially with with how you guys got your ranch property and you're still there today yes. and just starting out with 20 head. I mean, that's incredible. Will you walk us through the process of growing the Callison herd from 20 head to, I think when I was reading you guys are at over 350 head of cattle. Is that right? Yes. What were the steps you and Roger had to take to grow each year? And what were some of the big, like the biggest ups and downs that occurred during these steps? Well, First off, I think it should be said that we have a neighbor who says that Roger never met a cow that he didn't like, and that is very true. (laughs) (laughs) So if there was ever an opportunity for him to get possession of a cow, he usually took it. He must be a very patient man then. (laughs) (laughs) If he's never met a cow he didn't like. (laughs) Well, he hasn't, but from, from the beginning, I always told him, if there's a cow that I can't help you work together that she goes if if i yeah. if i'm worried about her running at me or or giving us a problem because my dad and my brothers all raise bucking bulls and i mean oh. they are all pbr professional level bucking Ooh. bulls and you know the bull the bulls have great personalities and if they get used to being hauled they can scratch their backs and give them baths it's the cows that that have this wild gene that 
I don't, I don't really want any part of that. Yeah. So, but they, they like, they like doing it. But anyway, so we, any of those that I didn't like, we would get rid of, but I don't think Roger's ever met one that he didn't like. And, you know, I've listened to several of your podcasts, which I've really enjoyed, Logan. And oh, thank you. One thing that I see as a theme that I really, especially some of these first generation ranchers don't want them to get discouraged is if you are starting out and you have an outside job besides the ranch, kudos to you because you're doing it. You're doing both. And I would have to say, you know, that that really helped us too, because Roger continued with his business and his job as we grew. So, so that's part of it. And another thing is that I don't think people realize is cattle, in my opinion, really can't pay for themselves and the land at the same time. I mean, you can't, you can't have 20 head and then they have kids and you're going to get enough out of that to, to make a living to pay for the cow note and to pay for your land note. And so you've kind of, kind of got to, you know, stagger those priorities that way. But to answer your question, we would start out the little house that I told you about that we bought with the land when we first married is a house on a hundred acres. So we started with that hundred acres. And then as maybe let's say just like 30 acres came available to, to lease, we did a lot of leasing land and still do. So that if there was land to be leased, we would lease that land and buy, you know, a handful of cows to put on that leased land. Now, if there was an opportunity to buy some land and then transfer the cattle, then we would do that. But, but small leases really helped us to, to grow and to put our money back into our cows, for one. Another thing is we got in the habit of keeping replacement heifers. So when our, when our cows would have the calf crop, you know, instead of just selling all of the calves, we would pick out a few of the heifers and keep those back and try to grow each year that way. So, you know, over time, you can kind of domino your herd through those practices. That's great insight. And thank you for going into that, especially on on the leasing and how you guys started out small and just worked your way up. And I think a lot of people, like when we're getting into this, it's like, how are you ever going to get over, you know, a hundred acres or 200 acres? And I love that you went into detail on that because it can be discouraging and super daunting when folks are wanting to get into this and they see the big picture of what they need to get to. Well, it can seem way overwhelming, but also I think that that there's no cookie cutter rancher. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many different aspects of the, the ranching industry. You know, some people doing it as a hobby, other people, you know, just maybe they're selling beef and it's grass fed or they're selling beef and it's grain fed, you know, because there's a consumer out there for both products. Absolutely. Maybe they are trying over time, but you, you really have to be in it for the long haul. You have to see that I'm going to have good years and I'm going to have bad years because we know that farming and ranching um, is very dependent on the weather on the markets, yeah. you know, what happens with your calf crop. And so I actually did a post on my Instagram this morning talking about how if you, if you love ranching, then you've got to love the lifestyle. You, you know, nobody goes into it just for the living. You know, there's lots of other things that you can do to make a living. Yeah. Um, you can be a computer programmer and you certainly don't have to feed anything in the mud in the winter right. doing that. So, but if you love the lifestyle, if you love being out with the animals and working it, then, then you'll make a go of it. Absolutely. 
I like to say it's, if that's not a calling, I don't know what is exactly folks going into agriculture. Cause you know, very few get rich or make a complete living off of it. And it's, it's something you have to love. And like you're saying, like in your post, which was just a great post, it's definitely a lifestyle and you have to want it. It's not something that you can think, Oh, I guess I could do that. You've got to want it 110% and just give it your all. And, and that's where, you know, over the long haul, you're going to see so many changes throughout your operation. I'm sure your guys' operation looks different today than it did when you started even five years into it. It just kind of morphs as you go. And I think that's the beauty of it too, as times are changing and then your operation changes with it. It's just kind of this neat transformation. I love hearing that and everybody I get to interview. It's just fascinating to me. It's a neat transformation, but I just feel like that this is a very, very exciting time to not only be a rancher, but to be a first-generation rancher. I mean, I I just see that we're on the cusp of of really exploding. I love your mission of Get America Ranching Again. I just see that one of the first-generation ranchers that that I love and follow on Instagram, and that's a great place, of course, to kind of connect with with other first-generation ranchers, is she called herself, and I love this, a professional first-timer. And she said, <laughs> if you see me do anything on the ranch, it was probably my first time. And I thought, <laughs> that is so funny. And I love that because, you know, I may not be a, you know, a first-generation rancher, but Roger and I did start, you know, ours from 20 head and and try to build that with with knowledge and mentoring and and all the other aspects but that new energy of looking at our industry with a, a new set of eyes that brings in a a great aspect as well as people who have been in it for generations and so i think i think we need to understand that we're really all in this together for the betterment of agriculture and feeding the world. Absolutely. Oh, that was so beautifully put, Nikki. Thank you for saying that. That was just incredible. I love that. And I think also a lot of people, when they hear third generation, fourth, fifth, sixth, like in your guys' case, you guys weren't passing down the family ranch. Like you guys started basically from scratch and doing your own thing. And I think a lot of folks, when they hear multi-generational, they're picturing those generations taking over the same operation over and over again. And that's not always the case. I would say that that is more the norm that it's not passed down. Yeah. Sometimes land is, but you know, if you have more than one child that that's interested, it's really hard. You can't really split a ranch and then everybody try to make a living. And so, so either you have to work together or you, you find your own niche and it doesn't have to be land and being a cattle producer. You know, if, if you love the agricultural industry, there are so many you know, just every aspect of the agricultural industry. Absolutely. And I think a lot of folks um, will picture getting into agricultural industry as, you know, being ranching or farming. But like you're saying, there's so many different support roles in agriculture from selling equipment to our feed stores to, you know, just so many things that you could be a part of, even if you don't want to have an operation or don't have the means to have, you know, land and do these kind of things. And I think that's something that's really unique about our industry too, is there's something for everybody to help continue to build agriculture as the next generations come along. You are absolutely right. I just, I love, I love these conversations. It's so fun. Everybody I bring on and hearing everybody's (laughs) different experiences and their outlooks on things. It's just incredible to me. And it's so encouraging and inspiring. Well, one of my favorite episodes that you had recently, and if, 
if those of you who are listening haven't heard it, it, I think you called it alignment. Yes. Was it? It was just you. And I loved you talking about staying in your lane. And I thought it's so true because especially now that we have social media and you see people doing all the things, well, we can't all do all the things. And I loved when you said it's okay to appreciate what other people are doing and still stay focused on your goals and what you're doing. And I, I think I think people need to hear that because especially we get we get excited about ranching. We we want to make it work, but you don't have to do every aspect. You don't have to run your operation the way other people are. Figure out what works for you. Well, thank you for that. I'm so glad you enjoyed the episode. And I'm just loving all the feedback that comes from that one. And like you said, with social media, you're seeing everybody put their content out. It's like, wow, look what they're doing. Oh, I want to do that. I want to try that. And you can get lost real easy. And everybody's doing great things. And it's, you know, it can be really hard to stay focused. So I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, it is such a great time to be getting into just about any industry with the amount of knowledge we have at our fingertips uh, social media being so connected to everybody and having access to so many operations, you know, seeing what everybody's doing. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case so much. And so it's kind of neat that's been brought to the forefront, but there's also some downsides to that as well. Exactly. In learning more of your guys' story, I was really excited um, in learning the history and how your family has such a great history in selling beef direct to customers over the years. What were the biggest challenges? for you and Roger and diversifying your business to include curated beef boxes and the monthly box subscriptions. Well, isn't that funny? Roger and I had actually talked about selling our beef directly. My youngest daughter, she graduated high school this year. And I said, you know, this is something that I want to do. We have more and more people, especially friends that we have in town who would come to us and say, you know, we want to be able to buy our beef directly from you you know, what do we need to do? And in the state of Oklahoma, you can have beef that's processed at a state inspected plant. And if you do, then you can actually sell shares like, you know, a quarter or a half of the beef on, on hoof. So it's very technical, you know, on, on hoof, (laughs) but you could not sell just a box of beef or packages of beef. And so I had vaguely remembered my grandfather being involved in this. But when I had talked with my parents, it was like bringing up old family history. And my mother had an actual photo album that my grandmother had made. My grandfather was an Oklahoma state representative in the state of Oklahoma, Ray Tucker, and he lived in uh, southeastern Oklahoma and was a big rancher down there, had actually run for the state state representative because he wanted to help agricultural in the, agriculture in the state. But he and my grandmother had come up with what they called rancher's beef. And they had processed all these steers. They had boxed it up. And at that point in time, you know, before social media, because this would have been like in the very early 1970s. Okay. And they'd box up the beef and they'd put an ad. There's only two major cities in Oklahoma, and that being Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And he would put an ad in, in the Tulsa World and the Daily Oklahoman saying when they would be there with the semi-cooler trailer full of beef and people would show up and my grandmother would check them out and they would give the people their box of beef and sell it directly. Wow. And, and they called it Rancher's Beef. And so when we were talking about doing this and that we really saw a need 
it was funny for my mom to bring that out. And I just this last, what, a couple of weeks ago, got from my aunt in the mail. She found the actual, my grandmother had made it on her typewriter where she had typed out some rancher's beef recipes <laughs> to hand out to their customers when they, they picked up their box of beef. So I thought that was really cool. How neat. Totally ahead of their time with that. That's incredible to me. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about being innovative. That's great. Being very innovative. But you know, you know, back in the day, people were more connected, I would think, yeah. to to the rural rural life and industry. Even if they did live in town, they had an uncle or a grandpa or somebody that would um, feed out a calf and then butcher and then everybody would get a share. Yeah. And now a lot of people don't. And as I said before, more and more people were coming to us saying, how can we buy directly? So Going back to your question, you know, what was the challenges? There's there's been a number of challenges. It's been a a huge learning curve for us. But I would say that some of the challenges, one of them was for us to be able to ship our beef like we do right now. We can ship anywhere in the continental U.S. overnight. Shipping was an issue because, you know, beef is heavy and it must remain frozen. So it's time sensitive. And so just the logistics of, you know, working with, FedEx and UPS to be able to have a a system and an account to ship that beef overnight anywhere in the U.S. and do it at a flat rate that was reasonable for our customer has been a huge learning curve. I will say that a huge help to me, if anybody is, is interested, Mary Heffernan has a group called M5 Entrepreneurs, and you can, I guess, do a hashtag of Small business from scratch is what she calls it. Okay. And in her course, in her course, I think the new launch of the course is, it's in September, I believe September 20th, kind of that week of 20th to the 27th. And her course helped us tremendously because it step-by-step walked through, this is what you need to do, how to package the beef for shipping, how to, you know, work with your, your shipping carriers you know, just, just all of that. So, so if anybody's interested in that course, and it's a great course, not just for people shipping beef, if you are in the agricultural industry and you're trying to do it, I mean, people have taken the course that might shipping sourdough bread or cheeses or frozen chicken or, or anything. I really recommend the course and she's a great teacher. And this is the Mary of five Mary's farms. Is that correct? Yes. Excellent. Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. I love Mary. So she was a, a big help with that. So I would recommend that if anybody's looking to, you know, to take that course, you know, just to help them with their small business because the the course has shipping. It also talks about social media. It talks about just business in general, getting that set up. So look into that. But I would say the the next biggest challenge for us would be finding a USDA processor because in Oklahoma, you would think this being, you know, cattle country. Yeah. But we've got processors nearby, but they're only state inspected. So we had to find a USDA inspector plant inspecting plant to be able to ship it across state lines and to sell at farmer's market or to be able to sell to the grocery store or to be able to sell, you know, just steaks to an individual as opposed to a half of a beef. So we actually, to find a processor that would, number one, do the packaging that we wanted, number two we make sure that, that our beef that we sell from CallisonRanchBeef.com uh, is 21 to 28 day dry aged. 
And so finding a processor to do that, I actually haul our steers three and a half hours away wow. to a processor. Oh, wow. So, so that, that's a trip Yeah, because <laughs> you have to take it. And then, you know, in three weeks, you got to go back and, and get yeah. it frozen. Oh, so, that's a couple full days right there. Yes. Then, then I would say probably the third thing would just be projecting how many that's been really hard in being able to sell the beef because you don't just have another one ready. I mean, these, these cattle need to, if you, if you want prime premium beef, then they have to be at their prime and ready for, for being processed. And so that, that's, we need to do like six month out projections. Well, you want, you hope your business will grow and you don't want to run out of meat, but then you don't want to have too many steers ready and not enough customers. And so, but I think we've, Roger is super instrumental in that and um, very helpful. And every day he, he goes and looks at the steers that we have and, you know, what do we have ready and helping with the projections. And so I think we've, I think we've done a really good job getting that ready so that we have great beef ready at any time for anybody who wants to order. Yeah. And you guys also juggle farmer's markets too in the mix. Cause on your Instagram, you do such a great job of just sharing your day to day with the ranch and you guys are always hitting up a market or getting boxes, you know, ready to go and be shipped out. And it's just impressive to me how you guys juggle that out and just make, like you're saying your projections and you guys seem to have that pretty dialed in from what it looks like. Well, thank you. And you know, it's, it's like I said, it's been a real learning curve. Yeah. And, and we're still growing and we still, you know, have, have monthly goals and we have things that we've got to figure out. And, and that's just what you do. You know, you try to figure out, figure it out as you go, but I would not, if somebody is wanting to sell, I would not overlook your local farmer's market. Going to the farmer's market has just helped people locally to know that we're doing this. I mean, don't assume just because you put it on Instagram or Facebook that your neighbor knows that you're selling beef. They don't. And so you really have to get in front of your customer and that they can meet you and ask about what you do. And one of the best things that I did is I, I thought to myself, I was actually delivering the beef to people's houses. And I thought, I also have to ranch. And so how am I going to juggle all this? And I thought, I need a location where it's convenient for our local customers to pick up and is easy. And so I approached a, a local coffee shop that kind of sits on a corner that's, you know, easy to get in and out of for, for people here in town. And I said, look, if I promote you on social media, will you let me put a little chest freezer in the back and I, people can buy online. And then all I need you to do is when they show up and say, I need to pick up my beef, you hand them their bag of beef. Oh, I love it. And hopefully they will buy a coffee or a latte or a frappe or whatever it is yeah. you know, that they want. And so that's been great for me. And it's been great for that local business. So if, if somebody out there can find somebody, you know, a local business that they can partner with. I started doing it with the coffee shop. I now there's a, a little boutique here in town that she approached me and it's called Farm Girl Boutique. The cutest shop and they do they do sell online if anybody wants to look up the farm girl boutique and I do the same with her we keep a freezer in the back and people come in and we'll pick it pick up their beef and with that you know hopefully they'll get a chance to look around her shop and and we just do some cross marketing that way I love that what a great way to support your local community and other you know local small businesses and just supporting each other like 
that's incredible to me, just building just even more of a community from all the local businesses together and local economy. I mean, I just think that's fantastic how you guys are building that together. And what a neat way just to network. Well, and I appreciate them partnering with me and taking a chance on me too. Absolutely. Nikki, I would love to know the top two tools of the trade for your business that you couldn't run it without and the reasons why. I will tell you by far the top piece of equipment that we need for the ranching portion. I would say that that in our two separate parts of our business are selling the beef direct. That one's easy. I can tell you tell you what it is that that I have to have for that and that is my iPhone. The the iPhone yes. just so many things that I can do right there in the palm of my hand. It's an educational tool. I mean, you can Google something if you need it. Yeah. You can listen to podcasts just like yours. There's just lots of things that you can get from educational tool. You just don't want to get sucked into uh, it being a time waster. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You can also, you know, with a smartphone, share with your customer. That's been one of the most disappointing things for me in the ranching industry is that we in America have the greatest food supply on the earth, in my opinion, or the the safest and healthiest. And for some reason, there is a, a vein of a myth floating out there of people distrusting their food supply and farmers and ranchers and where it comes from. And I I think that ranching falls into a very, a category of a very honorable profession, you know, a teacher, a doctor, a rancher. I mean, we are, we are feeding people and the beef that we feed our family is what we feed your family. And uh, I know I kind of went on a tangent there with that, but, but social media, I think, us being advocates through social media and showing pictures of what we do on a daily basis has been very helpful for that. And people trusting us to get their beef. With my iPhone, I take credit card charges at the farmer's market, figure weights. And one that people may not have thought of is that flashlight on your iPhone has been used many times at night. Yes. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Checking heifers. So true. <laughs> Checking. I've, I've held the light while we, you know, uh, doctored something. I mean, it's, it's, you get, you got to have it. So, um, so I'd say the iPhone, yeah. but, but as far as a piece of equipment and somebody starting out as ranching, you have got to have some sort of a, of a shoot, no matter how archaic it is. A, some sort of a wow. squeeze chute to handle your cattle because, you know, we've had cows that we had to get in to try to, to milk them out or to preg check or to pull a calf, whatever it is to give your, your cattle wormer, a, a squeeze chute. I mean, of course we would all love to have a hydraulic chute, but you've just got to have some kind of pins and a chute I would say would be number one um, as far as a piece of equipment. Let's see, you said two. A second one, I would think like some sort of a feed truck, you know, or farm truck. Yeah. If, if you don't have a tractor, I mean, you could do a lot with a truck, a bale spike on the back to put out round bales or, you know, to haul feed. I, I just don't see how you can ranch without some sort of feed ranch truck, but... Absolutely. And you can get really creative with those trucks too. That's what my husband and I have done getting started and we're now tractor shopping and it's so oh, funny what we've you. been able to. I'm so excited, but I tell you <laughs> what, having that truck, we have gotten so creative. We have three of them and we've gotten so creative on how to maneuver round bales and do different things that, 
you know, a tractor would have made it so much easier. But it's amazing what you can get done with a pickup truck. Yeah, but you can find a pickup truck for $1,500. Yeah, you can. Whereas a tractor is going to set you back quite a bit. So. Absolutely. Even if you bought an old truck for $1,500 and then got some kind of flatbed with the bale system on it, like we said, exactly. you're going to you know, maybe have five grand invested yeah. if you find stuff used. Whereas a tractor, you know, some old, yeah. it's amazing how they hold their value. They're significantly higher. <laughs> they do. And we have found that there's always a a country kid turning 16 who needs a vehicle yeah. <laughs> that will buy those old feed trucks. So, so you can, you, there's always a market for them. And I would say that the third thing, especially if somebody is, is a producer, you know, they have want to have some cows is if you don't have a set of calf pullers, go buy some, Yes, they will save you, save a calf. And there's nothing worse than, than being in a position that you've got a calf from maybe from a first time heifer that needs to be pulled and you don't have those. And so what are they like hundred dollars, maybe at tractor supply or something. Very inexpensive. And that's your collection because it's one of those pieces of equipment that you, you need it when you need it immediately. So it's kind of something you don't want to be scrambling for last minute. I'm so glad you brought that yeah. up because that's, that's a first for the show. And <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more because you know, that's something that's inexpensive, easy to get, and you're going to be so thankful you had it when you need it. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be so much easier on you, especially if it's just you by yourself or maybe you and, and one other person trying to pull the calf. And it's going to be easier on the calf and the cow and just get it over with yeah. with calf pullers. So, yes, I'm, I'm a big fan. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And this is another really fun one, too, that I'm excited to hear your input on. For our aspiring first-generation ranchers just getting started, what would you say are the five most important steps in turning your beef passion into a profitable business? Well, we all hope to turn it into a profitable business, <laughs> Logan. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> That's the dream right the there. Is we, we've been reinvesting all of those profits, but uh, right. that, brings, that brings us back to it is a lifestyle that we are maintaining. But, uh, but yes, in hopes, of, in hopes of making it into a profitable business, I think I alluded to this earlier in our conversation, but you have got to have patience would be number one. Yes. You're, you're in it for the long haul. Don't think that, oh, I'm going to get in this. And then five years later, I'm going to have this herd and be profitable and everything's going to be paid for. You know, it's, it's kind of a process. And so hang in there in the good years and the bad years. I would say a, another, I don't know if these are really steps or just, sure. you know, aspects that I, I see, but the next one would be to, to educate yourself and we just have so many opportunities um, within our industry. I'm, I'm actually, I'm also a runner and I had been looking and I'd seen people running with this team beef shirt. And I was like, I didn't even know there was a team beef. And so I, I'd looked it up and, and yes, there is in fact. And um, so now I am a member of team beef, but through that, I became acquainted with the Masters of Beef Advocacy program. Has anybody mentioned that on your show previously? Yeah, I've had a couple people mention that. I'd, I'd love for you to give your input on that because I think it's something that's really neat. It is super worthwhile, especially, I mean, whether you've been in ranching for your whole life or you're just starting out, it is an online course. You can just, I think you can probably just Google Masters of Beef Advocacy. It's an online course to get your certification. Oh, wow. But it takes you through every aspect of, of beef 
from the producer. It's also going to talk about facts and statistics, grain-fed versus grass-fed, what happens you know, as far as feedlot, the nutritional aspects of beef. And so I really feel like if you are going to be in this industry, you should try to get that Master's of Beef Advocacy. It's not, it's not a difficult course. It's not going to take you weeks or anything like that, but it's going to give you so much knowledge that you can use in just you know, talking points about, about the industry. So educating yourself through that. But also, if you're, if you're not a member of your state or National Cattlemen's Association, I'd really recommend that. I know the meetings that we have here in Oklahoma, I'm sure in Montana and your home state also, very educational. It's a good place to meet mentors and longtime ranchers, ask advice. Last February, we went to the National Cattlemen's Convention. This coming year, it's in February. It's the NCBA, I guess it's National Cattlemen's and Beef Association Convention. It'll be in San Antonio and it is so worth, I mean, even if you could just go down for two days. Oh, fun. There's a huge, huge trade show, lots of breakout meetings. You will learn so much. And so it, it's, a, it's a good place to, to get information and to educate yourself. Oh, I love that. And I think it's really important to get out to these conventions like you're talking about because there's so many different speakers and educational opportunities like you're talking about. And I couldn't agree with you more on getting to some of those. It's really incredible what you can take away from a seminar. Well, it is. And, and in the back of your mind, you think, do I really want to take a day off from the ranch? I need to, I've got all these other things I need to do. But, but it's good to connect with other people besides educating yourself. You know, we, we become such an island doing our, our day-to-day with the animals that it's good to get out there and, and put your finger on the pulse of the industry and, and see what you can learn. So we were talking about the, the five steps, passion to profit, and I would say relationships are, are really, really important. Not just a, a mentor or somebody to, to ask questions of. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I love talking to other people. And so I offer that. But also, you know, in your local area, you're going to have a, usually an extension agent. Everybody needs to have a good vet. You know, your banker. Yes. Most feed industries have a nutritionist on hand. You can go and talk to them, tell them what kind of problems you're having what your goals are. They can formulate something for you if you're interested in that. I mean, there's just, I, I think building those relationships is is really important. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And I, I love all your insight on that. It's fantastic. And I love the way you had put that in going into detail on the Masters of Beef Advocacy Program. Yes. Also in your ranch, you need to keep records. You need to start from the get-go keeping good records because you can't measure anything that you haven't recorded. And and keeping yeah. good records is going to help you to make wise decisions, also to look at um, you know, where are some places that we could maybe save some money or what's making us the most money. And, and numbers don't lie, so keep those good records. And the last thing I would say is just jump in there and get started. If you have a passion for the industry and a passion for ranching, then you know what? We are never totally ready to do anything. And so jump in, get your feet wet, don't overanalyze everything. And, you know, if you make a decision, if it's a good one, great. If it's a bad one, make a different decision. But just (laughs) don't do nothing. (laughs) Just, you know, keep moving forward in that progress. 
Oh, so good. I love all of that. When you make those mistakes and you're just getting started, just stay humble about it. And you'll find that so many people are willing to help you through it. I've had the same experiences myself where I've gotten in a little over my head on some things and I've had people go, how about trying it this way? Or what about this? And I'm so thankful for that. So yeah, just even you know, like Nikki's saying, if you're not ready, just do it. And you're going to get so much farther faster that way, instead of just sitting around waiting for that prime opportunity, because that that might not ever come. Exactly, exactly. And you know, you can't, life is life is a journey, and you might as well keep a good sense of humor and don't take yourself <laughs> too seriously. In In this new aspect of our business of shipping beef, there were all of these problems that I kept encountering, and how was I going to overcome them? And I'd, and the more I talked to other people who had done it before me, it made me feel so much better because they had gone through the same struggles. And so I thought, okay, it's not just me. And they figured it out and they helped me. And, and as I've had problems, I've figured it out. So, so reach out to people, but, but also don't beat yourself up. You're doing a great job. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good, Nikki. That was just, that was great. And this last one is typically my favorite to ask. It's always so inspiring to hear the answer from everybody. So out of everything we've talked about today, what would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the agricultural industry in any capacity in today's day and age? As far as advice to anybody who wants to to be part of the agriculture industry is my biggest piece of advice would be to have a passion for what you do. Whatever aspect you are working in, I'd mention a livestock nutritionist, if you're going into some kind of veterinary medicine, if you are selling equipment, have a passion for the agricultural industry and ranching in general, and you are an advocate. Everybody that you talk to, everybody that you talk about ranching to, you have the power to be an advocate, and I think that people encouraging people to eat beef, people knowing that their beef comes from, you know, ranchers who are working hard, that these are all all things that really help you be an advocate and for the beef industry. Another thing that I'd like to mention is whether you could get involved with the, the organization or if you have children. I think that 4-H is one of the best organizations out there. And absolutely, it's a great place to introduce kids to not just the agricultural industry, because really as society changes, 4-H and showing animals is really kind of a small part. But it doesn't matter if a kid is interested in stamp collecting or dogs or robotics or cattle, there's a place for them in 4-H. And I know that like when we adopted our children, our son had some had some learning difficulties and 4-H was incredible because no matter where a kid is, they can be involved and participate in the speech contest or job readiness really got my teenagers ready for, for that. They showed animals. And so, you know, if, if all you're doing is cooking and eating beef and talking about beef and promoting the beef industry, and then you want to get involved with your local 4-H club, right there, you are changing lives. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. That's just a fantastic answer to that. And 4-H just has a lot of importance to me. It really helps structure me and my youth. And I just, I couldn't encourage anybody enough to get involved with it. Whether you're an adult wanting to be a leader or volunteer, 
or if you've got kiddos and just getting them in and getting them involved. That was just a fantastic answer. Thank you. Nikki, this has been so much fun. I mean, I'm just so blown away and impressed with everything you brought to the episode today. Thank you so much for sharing your insight. Where can, for those listening, learn more about you and your business? Where can people connect with you? Where can we learn more about Callison Ranch Beef? Well, you can connect with me anytime um, on Instagram at type in Callison Ranch Beef, but it's Callison underscore ranch underscore beef. And uh, remember, that's like Allison with a C. Or on Facebook, Callison Ranch Beef or callisonranchbeef.com is where anybody can read about our story, our ranch, and also order our beef. And feel free to, to reach out to me anytime. I'd also recommend a couple of other things, Logan. One is that we do send out a newsletter. We do a weekly newsletter with our specials and also talk about what's going on in the ranch. And you can go to that callisonranchbeef.com and subscribe, to put in your email address to subscribe to our email. And also we're going to offer for your listeners a discount code that is get America ranching again, 19. So G A R A 19. And that'll be free shipping on your first order at callisonranchbeef.com. If anybody wants to take advantage of that. And one more thing, I mentioned my brother Cord McCoy earlier. And another thing that would be great to listen to is he actually did a TED talk in Big Sky, Montana, up in your country this last year. And it's very motivational. And so I wanted to do a shout out to my brother Cord and really proud of him for that. Oh, excellent. I will link that into the episode description as well. So everybody has quick access to that as well as your website. And thank you so much for offering a discount code for the listeners. I greatly appreciate that. That's fantastic. Thank you, Logan. It's been so great talking to you and I love listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Nikki. This has been a great conversation. I greatly appreciate your time. I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you.